Naaman had received a great miracle, and he believed great things that one receives, you should give some thanks. But instead of immediately giving thanks to God, Naaman wants to give thanks to Elisha, the prophet who performed the miracle. He wants to give him a huge sum of money, but Elisha refuses it. But what was this miracle? Naaman wasn't Jewish, wasn't part of the covenant. In fact, he was from the country of Israel's enemy, the enemy of the Jewish people. 850 years before Jesus was born, Naaman was the general of the armies of King Aram, the head of the Assyrian Empire, the Jewish people's greatest enemy to the north. As a general, he had the command of thousands of men, but all of it was about to be at risk. You see, Naaman was losing sensation in his fingers and his feet. He was beginning to notice blemishes and blotches on his skin. It was thought that he had leprosy. And leprosy by the Assyrians and the Jewish people and so many other cultures of that time was viewed as a curse that one must have offended the gods in order to have such a punishment inflicted upon him. Naaman is fearing not just the loss of the command and the respect of his king, but the loss of his life and he's desperate for a miracle. And he looks all over Nineveh and the Assyrian capital around it, looking for a cure, but no witch doctor, no pagan priest is able to provide it. And then it was his wife's slave, a Hebrew girl, that said, go down into Israel. And the Jewish prophet Elisha, he will heal you. Naaman thought this was a ridiculous idea. The Assyrians looked down their noses at the Jewish people. Far be it from him to have to stoop so low to go down there to find a miracle. And yet, when every other path has been closed to him and all hope seemed lost, the slave girl did in fact convince Naaman to go. And the king of the Assyrian Empire wrote a letter to the king of Israel introducing Naaman and asking the king for this miracle. And the king armed Naaman with a huge vast sum of wealth in order to buy that miracle. Naaman has received an audience by the king of Israel who says, I can't give you this. Only God's prophet can. Go see Elisha, as the slave girl said. But when Naaman finally does go see Elisha, Elisha won't see Naaman. He won't even come out of his hut to grant him an audience. Now Naaman feels snubbed. But Elisha does send word out to Naaman, if you want to be cleansed of your leprosy, go to the waters of the river Jordan and bathe in them, not once, not twice, but seven times. For Naaman, this is a ridiculous idea and an insult. He remembers the grand rivers of the Euphrates that run through his own country. He doesn't want to get into the Jordan, which now, like then, looks like nothing more than a brown, muddy creek. How will something so dirty be able to make him clean? But the slave girl comes up to Naaman again, and she says, you've come so far. You have everything to lose. No one else can help you. Do as the prophet says. And the general obeys the Jewish slave and gets into the water, not once, not twice, but seven times. And Elisha and God really outdid themselves in this one. Because not only is Naaman's skin returned to the state it possessed before he became a leper, they roll back the odometer to the time when Naaman was a child, his skin soft and supple like a baby. That's why he wants to give all of the money he brought with him to Elisha to thank him for performing this miracle. But Elisha said, you can't pay for it. You can't buy it. It's freely given. 
And therefore, Naaman, who was a pagan, that worshiped a god of the sun, a god of war, a god of agriculture, a god of fertility, he said, I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to those pagan gods of my country. I will only worship the god of Israel. And that's why he asked for two mule loads of Jewish dirt from Israel that he might take back with him. The legend of that time, you could only worship the god of a country in that country. And even though Naaman intends to go home and resume his command of his king's armies and probably to invade Israel, anytime he prays, he'll be praying to the Jewish God on Jewish soil because he believes that is the only God who saves. In the face of a great blessing, Naaman wishes to give great thanks because he knows that God alone could take his leprosy and his affliction away. That's much the same plight of the ten lepers who seek out Jesus in the middle of the 17th chapter of Luke and say, Son of David, have pity on us. And he does. No one else wanted to have anything to do with the lepers. They were viewed as untouchable, unlovable, and unclean. But Jesus, these are the very lost, wounded, and wandering lambs that he came to save. Not the worldly, the wealthy, and the wise, but the last, the lowest, the leper, the lame. Those are the ones that he shows the greatest caring. And once all the lepers in the gospel have been cleansed, nine of them run off quickly. Only one remains, and it is the one who was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was a Samaritan. We hear so often the parable of the good Samaritan, we think that it would be a good thing to be a Samaritan. And yet to be a leper, that was one strike against you. To be a Samaritan leper, two strikes and you're out. The Samaritans were viewed by Jewish people as sellouts, half-breeds. They discriminated against them with racial and ethnic and political and religious prejudice. They didn't want to have anything to do with them, didn't want to breathe the same air as them, and certainly not touch them. You wouldn't touch a leper, you wouldn't touch a Samaritan, a Samaritan leper will run the other way. The Samaritan leper takes a chance at even coming up to Jesus, and Jesus takes a chance certainly in reaching out to him, but then there's a wonderful moment of gratitude exchanged. Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Perhaps they were running off to find their families for the very moment when the priest, not a doctor, but a priest said, you had leprosy. Whether you did or not, you still had to get out. You immediately became an outcast, living beyond the fringes of society, cut off from your spouse, never to see your children again. You could only live with other lepers and far away from population centers. Those lepers had to keep their heads uncovered in the hot desert sun so other people would see them coming and be able to get out. But they also had to ring a bell and call out, unclean, unclean, in reference to themselves so that anyone else might give them a wide berth and not dare to come into contact with them. <clears throat> As a leper and a Samaritan, this person was truly below the bottom rung of the ladder in society of his time. But Jesus has given him a great step up because the one who was lost has been found. The one who was dead has been brought back to life. And whereas the others can't wait to see their families and have to run off to meet them and to greet them and to rejoice that everything they lost was given back to them. It is this man, like Naaman the Syrian, who knows that only in Israel is there a God who can save all people, including the Gentiles. And that is why he comes to offer his thanks. And that's the lesson for us today, to be grateful to God. If we pray, so often when we do pray, it's not about thanking God, it's about telling God what we need and when we need it for ourselves or for others. They may be very heartfelt petitions and we're only voicing them to God because we believe that He has a power greater than our own, 
But so often we forget that the first purpose of prayer is not petition, but praise. That's how it goes when Jesus teaches us to pray. He only taught us one prayer, and it's a short one, but we say it at every Mass, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And before we ask Him for daily bread and for forgiveness and protection from evil, we praise Him for being God, we praise Him for being good, and we pray that His will, not ours, be done. We give Him thanks. We would do well to become more grateful. So often we spend too much time thinking about what we don't have, what we've lost, what's been taken away, confusing want and need. But Jesus, He teaches us to be grateful, and He teaches us by example. When Jesus only had a little, He could make it a lot by giving thanks to God. That's the secret behind the loaves and fishes. The bread and fish were not multiplied until Jesus gave thanks to God for that meager offering, and then it became a superabundance that was able to feed thousands with 12 baskets left over. And the Greek verb for what Jesus did to that bread is called Eucharist. We define it as thanksgiving. Every time we as Catholic Christians gather in the Mass then, wherever and whenever the Mass is celebrated, we're all giving thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. As well we should, because He is the source of all that is good in our life, and He is the source indeed of all that we hope and pray for. And so we should be grateful because, once again, my friends, He owes us nothing, and yet He has given us so much. 